European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 38, Issue 9 Focus Issue on Valvular Heart Disease by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia Frontiers in Valvular Heart Disease From Aortic Stenosis to the Tricuspid Valve and Congenital Anomalies Valvular heart disease has moved from being the Cinderella of cardiology to centre stage in recent years. The development of transarterial aortic valve implantation, or TAVI, and its remarkable clinical success has stimulated epidemiological and outcomes research. Imaging is a modality for the planning of such interventions, technological research for new and better tools for such procedures, and more recently, also the field of antiplatelet agents and antithrombotics. The most recent progress is summarised in a current opinion, The Year in Cardiology 2016, Valvular Heart Disease, by Ottavio Alfieri and colleagues from the San Raffaello University Hospital in Milan, Italy. The authors note that, as expected in this era of rapidly evolving therapeutic modalities and technologies, Many specific contributions are related to the expanded role of percutaneous interventions. New data are now available, consolidating the validity of the transcatheter approach in a variety of subsets of patients, and therefore offering new strategies and perspectives in management, as outlined in detail in their comprehensive review. A novel frontier in valvular heart disease is the tricuspid valve as reviewed by Paul A. Grayburn and colleagues from the Baylor Heart and Vascular Institute in Dallas, Texas, USA, in their article, Tricuspid Regurgitation, Diagnosis and Treatment. The authors note that tricuspid regurgitation is the most common lesion of the tricuspid valve, with mild regurgitation being common and usually benign. However, Moderate or severe tricuspid regurgitation can lead to irreversible myocardial damage and adverse outcomes. Despite these findings, few patients with significant tricuspid regurgitation undergo surgery. Indeed, the treatment of functional or secondary tricuspid regurgitation remains controversial because of high rates of residual or recurrent tricuspid regurgitation and poor outcomes following surgery. Traditional teaching that functional tricuspid regurgitation resolves on its own if the underlying disease is successfully treated has proven to be incorrect. This review therefore aims to clarify the current management of tricuspid regurgitation by describing the anatomy, pathophysiology, diagnosis and treatment of tricuspid regurgitation, including the eventual possibility of percutaneous tricuspid valve therapy. The latter, most innovative aspect, is discussed in detail in a second clinical review manuscript entitled Percutaneous Tricuspid Valve Therapies, The New Frontier, by Maurizio Taramasso and colleagues from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland. The authors remind us that moderate to severe tricuspid regurgitation affects approximately 1.6 million patients in the USA of whom only 8,000 undergo tricuspid surgery annually, leaving an extremely large number of patients untreated. Percutaneous procedures are an attractive alternative to surgery for patients deemed to be high-risk surgical candidates. 
whereas over the past few years, the development and clinical use of percutaneous approaches such as TAVI, MitraClip, and mitral valve replacement has increased dramatically, only little progress has been made as regards to the percutaneous treatment of tricuspid regurgitation. In this review, the currently available technologies, among them MitraClip and novel devices which are currently under evaluation, mostly echo-guided, are described in detail and their preliminary clinical results discussed. As with TAVI, any other percutaneous valve intervention requires careful planning using state-of-the-art imaging modalities, in particular computed tomography, or CT. In their clinical research article, Computed Tomography for Planning Transcatheter Tricuspid Valve Therapy, Jeroen J. Bax and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands propose a comprehensive anatomical evaluation of the tricuspid valve, right ventricle and vena cava, and its spatial relationship with the right coronary artery using computed tomography and investigates the implications for suitability for current technologies as described in the above-discussed review by Tara Masso and colleagues. To evaluate this approach, a total of 250 patients undergoing CT were divided according to the presence of moderate or severe tricuspid regurgitation and less than moderate tricuspid regurgitation. Tricuspid valve annulus, right ventricle and vena cava dimensions, and the course of the right coronary artery relative to the tricuspid annulus were evaluated. Patients with severe tricuspid regurgitation showed significantly larger dimensions of the tricuspid annulus, right ventricle, and vena cava. In two-thirds of the patients, the right coronary artery coursed along the tricuspid valve annulus. Patients with less severe tricuspid regurgitation showed more frequently a course of the right coronary artery superior to the tricuspid annulus at the levels of the anterior and the posterior tricuspid leaflet compared with their counterparts. A less favorable course of the right coronary artery at less than or equal to 2.0 millimeters distance to the annulus for current annuloplasty techniques was observed at the level of the anterior tricuspid and posterior leaflets in respective 13% and 28% of patients with severe tricuspid regurgitation. Thus, this is the first systematic approach to use computed tomography to define suitability of patients for current transcatheter tricuspid valve devices. While the most common forms of valvular heart disease affect mainly elderly patients with calcific aortic stenosis, as outlined above, or functional mitral regurgitation due to heart failure or other conditions, congenital anomalies of arterial valves are overall rare but are common birth defects leading mainly to valvular stenosis. With no pharmaceutical treatment that can prevent disease progression, prosthetic replacement is currently the only treatment choice, incurring considerable morbidity and mortality. Animal models presenting localized anomalies and stenosis of congenital arterial valves, like that of humans, are important research tools to uncover developmental molecular mechanisms underlying this condition. In a basic science article, Notch TNF signaling is required for development and homeostasis of arterial valves, 
Bin Zhao and colleagues from the Yeshiva University Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York, USA, generated and characterized mouse models with conditionally altered notch signaling in endothelial and interstitial cells of developing valves. Mice with inactivation of notch 1 signaling in valvular endothelial cells developed congenital anomalies of arterial valves, including bicuspid aortic valves and valvular stenosis. Notch 1 signaling in valvular endothelial cells was required for repressing proliferation and activating apoptosis of valvular interstitial cells after endocardial to mesenchymal transformation. Indeed, the authors showed that notch signaling regulated TNF-alpha expression in vivo and TNF signaling was necessary for apoptosis of valvular interstitial cells and post-endocardial to mesenchymal transformation development of arterial valves. Further, activation or inhibition of notch signaling in cultured pig aortic valvular endothelial cells promoted or suppressed apoptosis of valvular interstitial cells respectively. Thus, the authors conclude that they, for the first time, provide animal models and show that notch TNF-alpha signaling balances proliferation and apoptosis for post-endocardial to mesenchymal transformation development of arterial valves. Their results suggest that mutations in its components may lead to congenital anomaly of aortic valves and valvular stenosis in humans. These provocative findings are further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Robert Henry Anderson from Newcastle University, UK. Heart failure is an important complication of valvular, coronary or hypertensive heart disease. Although huge progress has been made in this condition, as again outlined by the most recent ESC guidelines, treatment remains essentially palliative in nature. Thus, novel regenerative approaches have been tested with positive but mainly neutral results. However, cardiopoietic cells produced through cardiogenic conditioning of patients' mesenchymal stem cells have shown preliminary efficacy. In a fast track entitled Cardiopoietic Cell Therapy for Advanced Ischemic Heart Failure, results at 39 weeks of the prospective randomized double-blind sham-controlled CHART-1 clinical trial. Andre Terzik and colleagues from the CHART program present results of the congestive heart failure cardiopoietic regenerative therapy trial that aims to validate cardiopoiesis-based biotherapy in a large heart failure cohort. This multinational randomized double-blind sham-controlled study was conducted in 39 hospitals. 484 patients with symptomatic ischemic heart failure on guideline-directed therapy were screened and 348 underwent bone marrow harvest and mesenchymal stem cell expansion. Of those, 315 who achieved more than 24 million mesenchymal stem cells were randomized to cardiopoietic cells delivered endomyocardially with a retention-enhanced catheter or sham procedure. Of the 271 patients, procedures were performed as randomized in 271. The primary efficacy endpoint was a Finkelstein-Schoenfeldt hierarchical composite of all-cause mortality, worsening heart failure, Minnesota living with heart failure questionnaire score, 6-minute walk distance, 
left ventricular end systolic volume, and ejection fraction at 39 weeks. The primary outcome was neutral. Exploratory analyses suggested a benefit of cell treatment on the primary composite in two-thirds of the patients with baseline left ventricular end diastolic volume of 200 to 370 milliliters. No difference was observed in serious adverse events. One cardiopoietic cell patient and nine sham patients experienced aborted or sudden cardiac death. Thus, the authors conclude that the primary endpoint was neutral with safety demonstrated across the cohort. Further evaluation of cardiopoietic cell therapy in patients with elevated end diastolic volume is warranted. These findings are put into further perspective in an editorial authored by Joshua M. Hare from the University of Miami in Florida, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.